Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. It's the Chris Walker coming to you from the snow. Well, it's not exactly the snow. It's Bondi Beach. It's 10 o'clock in the morning and it's uh, real feel, 7 degrees C. <laughs> so, uh, whoa, this is new. So I've got uh, Himalayan down jackets on and thermal undies and goodness knows what. And uh, I can promise you I won't be dipping in the ocean today. I'm a little bit of a chicky when it comes to that. Um, I even went for a uh, swim in a pool yesterday, in a heated pool. So, today's topic, ego. Ego is as much a part of nature's laws as anything else on the world. So when someone says, get over your ego, I'm not sure that they are, uh, are dealing or trying to live in harmony with nature. The thing about our ego is um, it is in, on the one hand, in complete defiance of nature because it can invent lopsided perceptions. So for example, any view we have of the world that is out of balance is out of tune with nature. Nature's always seeking balance. And yet we quite often through moral or emotional uh, compliance or paradigm seeking, try to hunt for a relationship or a job or a, uh, a conversation or an experience which is out of sync, out of balance with nature. So <clears throat> the ego has a really critical function in nature and that is that every seed that you plant in the ground knows the plant that it wants to grow into and it will really uh, set about fighting off bugs and diseases and uh, even starvation to a certain extent when we forget to feed them plants will fight for survival and that is in a literal sense the function of nature's ego it is a survival mechanism survival of the fittest or whatever you want to call it Darwinian theory that is ego evolution however the human ego has one variable that differentiates it from nature's ego and that is the human variable has a thing called perception so we take in our sensory inputs we perceive we take in uh, how we interpret the environment around us, we create a perception and from that develop a behavior. Somewhere along the lines of all that, between sensory input, perception and behavior, we get, we introduce what's called memory. Memory is the way that we start to develop uh, automatic response to, to triggers. So for example, you hear a car horn uh, loud, usually jump, because it typically takes a shortcut between what did I hear? Oh, that's a noise. What was it looked like? Oh, it's a car coming. Oh, what should I do? Jump. And then we develop a memory. Horn, jump. We don't have to look. And in doing so, we develop an ego. 
automatic ego responds to things and that ego is doing exactly what nature intended it to do it's defending ourselves it's protecting it's evolving it's growing us but the trouble is the perception and the memory could be wrong uh, take um, an easy example uh, John Holland is a construction firm in Australia that uh, I used to use uh, uh, sell a lot of equipment to uh, when I had my engineering business John Holland hired a lot of very intelligent people whose job it was uh, under the auspices of John Holland's leadership uh, the company's leadership was to screw the bejingos, screw the bejesus out of suppliers uh, to make a profit. In the process of screwing the bejesus out of suppliers to make a profit, of course they were doing what is accepted in engineering contracting and is making suppliers conform to the micromillimetre of uh, technical specification on a job and therefore extracting a huge uh, value out of unknowing and un, uh, inexperienced suppliers. I was one and for example we did a job where we had to paint this whole system with m micro uh, detailed thickness of paints and certain quality colours and all these things that were specified in the tender down to the very molecular depth and what have you. And we missed by one millionth of a millimetre on the, on the paint depth gauge and they made us sandblast the whole thing back to zero and start all over again. And all this was done, of course, it was done, painted before assembly. We had to disassemble and it you know, costs hundreds of thousands of dollars had to disassemble the machinery, put it back through the spray booth. And I tried to pass it back to the paint supplier, but they claimed that it was within spec and tolerance. Uh, John Holland claimed it wasn't. And we had a pretty serious piece of negotiation on our hand. From that day on, if you mention the word John Holland, I can't think positive about John Holland. <laughs> my ego steps in to protect me, protect my business and protect my family from John Holland from not the person John Holland, but from the company. And so you can see ego has uh, a function, but my perception of John Holland is completely self-determined. I did not perceive them as being uh, good. I perceived them as being bad. I perceived my need for defense based on the fact that they did bad things. But at the end of the day, John Holland did good and bad things. They screwed me on the paint work but they paid the bill and the bill was you know best part of a million dollar contract so uh, yes I lost some money but yes I made some money yes we learned something thank you John Holland no that's not the way my ego wanted to see it my ego wanted to see it as me I'm a victim John Holland is a bastard they fit into the paradigm of a nasty uh, contractual uh, overtly aggressive um, uh, company and profiteering. I just wanted to see it that way. It wasn't the way it was. It wasn't the truth. It wasn't how, how it really was. It was how I saw it. But my memory 
of John Holland and the length of time I was in battle with them caused a, a rather indelible imprint, which means the memory, which is part of the perception behavior lineage. Every time I hear the word John Holland, I jump into behavior, which is defense, or when I, had, when I dealt with them. So that's called baggage. And these memories that we carry forward from our childhood especially are baggage that cause us to bypass logic, bypass uh, true evaluation, bypass all of that and end up in a behavior that, that is shortcut. So we can behave towards people, we can behave towards uh, situations, we can behave uh, between perception and behavior without thinking because memory takes over the middle ground. And that memory is, is an influencer, a serious influencer on our behavior. And that memory doesn't necessarily have to be correct, true, or even founded in logic. It can be just the way we saw it at the time. Now, given that the body's memory is to seek uh, pleasure, avoid pain, those memories can be very cleverly, uh, indelibly etched into our subconscious. And then we start seeking books and information to validate the memory. So we start saying, oh, I'm going to read a book about um, the, the persecution of uh, people by large corporations because that's what I believe and find books to validate the memory. So 99% of all the personal development we do is self-validation of our ego. When it comes time to grow and evolve and build bigger and expand and love more and do more and be more healthy and see things differently and own, very rarely does a person, can, can a person go down that road self-guided. So if you imagine a tiger, uh, you know, a, a lion in a herd, the lion acts out of instinct. And if you try to retrain the lion to, uh, to operate differently towards the herd, it would put itself in a place of jeopardy and probably be killed by the other the lion wants to take over the uh, pack, the you know, group. So it's really hard to re-educate ourselves from our own perspective. And that's why we seek coaching or gurus or uh, leadership from the outside. However, even then it's a problem because quite often we choose the guru or the leader or the coach or the person on the outside to continue to self-validate. And if we hear what we don't like, we often say that that person doesn't know what they're talking about or I chose the wrong one or I don't think I want to do this anymore. But actually, so actually choosing a coach or a guru or a, a leader or a whatever, it's really important to make sure that that person's position is not based on their perception, memory, ego, etc. Because otherwise, ego lead ego doesn't necessarily lead in a, in a good direction. And this is why I think nature is the best guru, teacher, leader that you can have. Nature is, is a mirror of the universe, because if it happens in the universe, it happens in nature. If you can understand nature, you can have a good leader in your life. You can become self-reliant, self-actualized, self-determined, 
And I think this self-determination and learning how to do that becomes, I think, the way to use your ego to the, with the intent that it was meant to, which is to expand and grow you to your full potential. Each time you get challenged, you get an opportunity to evolve. Greater in consciousness, less in number. To make your business more wise, to make people in your business more wise, to make your decisions more wise, to make your dynamic with other people more wise, and therefore less vulnerable to emotion. Emotion is really where the, the emotions that drive us is really where uh, we are trapped in memory. Emotions are 99% memory. And some of those memories have been based on the perception of a child. And, you know, let's be real. The kids aren't meant to have a real wise perception. They just get one and they get a, a viewpoint. So being able to unravel our memories and being able to unravel our perceptions and make sure that we live a little bit in alignment with nature's universal laws, which is happy, successful, shortcut to the truth. Sometimes people around us don't know what we know and therefore that behooves us to be uh, compassionate. And if you understand the word compassion, it means shut the fuck up. It means I understand that you're going through an emotional drama or your ego is fighting back on me. And I understand the laws that would change that. But I can't tell you because you didn't ask. Now, as a leader or a teacher or a speaker or a guru or a coach or a parent, you have to learn to shut the fuck up. When, when, a, when a person is not ready to hear something, you don't have to intervene every time. You can simply say, uh-huh. Keeping a secret, being able to be dishonest in a sense and say, I can see you're in a deluded, Im imbalanced state, highly emotional. I'm just not going to participate in it. Non-participation. Non-participation means I don't react positively, I don't react negatively, I don't participate. And this is what we call in the business world or in the sporting world, the white zone. The white zone is when you go for a run in the morning and you really don't care how long it takes or how fast you're going. All you're doing is looking around, enjoying the beautiful sand and enjoying the sky. And you say, I'm going for a run. I'll be back in an hour. You don't measure how far it is. You don't measure how long you took. You don't measure your heart rate. You don't measure your uh, cadence, you don't measure anything. You just go, I'm going for a run for an hour. And the only reason you have a watch on your wrist is so you know when an hour comes up. It's no expectation, it's the white zone. And more and more athletes around the world, especially in endurance events, are valuing the need to go in the white zone for at least 90% of their training. They go in the red zone for the 10%, and they avoid at all costs the gray zone, which is in between. And I think that's a good model to take into your life, to say, I'm either in a great space, mindfully doing what I do and enjoying it, not participating in the lies and the distortions and the egos of other people or my own, or I'm in the red zone, pushing my ego, pushing myself to a new boundary, being intense. Remember, evolution means greater in consciousness, which is more smart, 
less in number. And if you want to distill that, you say, how do I get more done in less time? Over and over again, 10 times a day, how do I get more done in less time? You use the do, dump, delegate form. You, lose, you use the loyalty, commitment, motivation form. You, lose, you use the discard form. You, you use the emotional shower. How do you get more done in less time? How do you get more done in less time? In other words, how do you waste less time? How do you be more efficient? Now, a computer or a mobile phone, which is where I'm dictating this podcast here today as I'm walking along the beach, is just another mechanism of how to get more done in less time. And we can be thankful for the mobile phone for taking us there. It's not how to talk longer. It's not how to do longer this and longer that. It's how to do shorter. How do I get more done in less time? How do I get more done in less time? Anything that you have to repeat more than twice becomes a process, a system. And it's worth investing the time to turn process into systems. How do you shorten meetings? Anyway, food for thought. Have a great day. Bye for now.